Hey guys, ECRG here, back with another video. We've got a very, very special guest with us today, an industry veteran. Her name is Mega, and she is coming to us with a good amount of clinical research experience in varying roles, but I'm going to let her tell you a little bit more about that. How are you doing, Mega? I'm good. How are you? I'm well. I'm well. Um, thank you so much for coming on the program today. This is the second interview I've done uh, in clinical research. So thank you so much for trusting me with uh, providing this content to the audience. Um, but I'd like to go ahead and, you know, how is your experience in clinical research? Um, you know, a lot of people are interested in coming into the clinical research field. Um, can you go ahead and give a little intro about yourself? Sure. Um, so I was actually lucky enough to stumble into clinical research while I was still in school. Um, I had realized that research was something that I had never really considered and so I started off by just kind of helping out in a cognitive development lab um, and from there I kind of realized that I really liked being a part of clinical research and clinical trials. Um, from there I had decided to apply to a small CRO that had a position as a study manager open um, and I, I pretty much just had mentioned the coursework that I had done, which was some pharmacology coursework and um, pharmaceutical chemistry coursework, which gave me an understanding of the medications that are being tested. Um, and from there, I, I got hired as a study manager and I helped with the budgets and contracts and the um, site selection and all of the processes that go towards starting up studies and managing them from start to finish. Um, it was quite a role to take on um, as a senior in college, but I learned a lot from it because I pretty much started off at the deep end of the pool. Um, and as the studies um, came on, they needed a CRA to take care of some of the studies that were happening on the West Coast. Um, the CRO was just had one office in the East Coast, so when they had that unmet need, um, I kind of volunteered to, to take on that role so I could learn more about clinical um, research monitoring. Um, and that's where I really got my experience as a CRA. Um, and then shortly after, I realized that I wanted to actually get the experience as a clinical research coordinator. And I realized that I really needed that because um, in order to manage studies and manage sites and make sure everything is going as planned, um, you really need to understand what goes on at the site level. Um, and that's when I ended up switching my job to be a clinical research coordinator in the in, at a hospital mm -hmm. um, and I worked both in non-oncology and oncology studies. Okay. So I was there for about a year and five months um, and that's when a, I was contacted regarding a CRA position um, directly with a sponsor and so now just I've been there for a month um, and I'm really really liking it. So my experience has kind of been um, from CRO to site to sponsor level CRA. Um, and then on the side, more recently, I started consulting um, and helping with patient recruitment strategies, um, especially at sites where they struggle to recruit and with studies that have very strict inclusion exclusion criteria. Okay, awesome. Wow, so a lot to unpack there. Some really good information in there. So first, you, you've got your first job as a study manager and you said you got that job right out of college or you were working you're working as you were a senior in college on that job yeah. um and what year was this because i want to provide a framework and a context for people for like the years because the industry goes up and down so a lot of people may be having you know a hard time breaking in at certain times mm -hmm. so i want to just put that in perspective so what year was that and then how, how more specifically did that come about? Um, so that was May of 2015. Okay. Um, so as I was finishing up my, my second to last year in college, I really wanted to um, not just intern somewhere, but have a job that I could carry throughout my senior year and um, kind of extend through a, the possibility of a full-time position later on. Um, and I saw this one position posted on the career board um, and really I didn't think that I would be selected for it because I was not a college graduate, I didn't already have research experience, but I sent my resume in with the strong cover letter just explaining what my potential is 
um, and I got selected for the position. So um, that was one thing I learned very quickly is that, you know, you don't want to overreach, um, but if you feel like you can handle something, you definitely want to try and reach out and explain why you're qualified, even if you don't have that, you know, three years of experience exactly. or two years of experience. Exactly, because you never know what they could be looking for at that time because what they post is just like the perfect ideal candidate and a lot of times they never come across that perfect ideal candidate exactly and the nice thing about this position was that originally it was supposed to be um, full-time and because I was a student um, the president of the company said that's more than fine like if you um, can commit to 20 to 25 hours a week um, okay. we'll take you on so that was the nice thing I think that the cover letter really helped um, you know not it's not always easy to have to write a specific cover letter for every position when right. you're starting off but right. if you feel very strongly like if the location is great to where you go to school um, and the hours may be flexible you definitely want to give a strong cover letter because that may make you stand out compared to other people that are applying that's true um, okay that's interesting so that's that, ironic you say the cover letter thing because I actually I don't advise against it but it does take time to like adapt it to a specific job so I, I typically say, like, save all those, but make sure you apply to the non-cover letter jobs also. Like, bang, bang those out as quickly as possible. So then yep. you can spend more time working on the other cover letter jobs. Yep. Um, so that's interesting. So you were able to work that job in college, 20 to 25 hours. Yep. And, wow, that's amazing. Um, that's awesome. And so this was a small CRO. Um, and then talk, talk about how... You know, it was, how long was it before they said that you could uh, work as a CRA? Or how long did it take for that opportunity to come up? Um, so the opportunity came up exactly a year um, into my working there. So okay. um, it was May 2016 where a study was going to launch. And we were prepping for it to launch for months ahead of time. But right. we thought that we may find a CRA that may be on the West Coast and able to handle um, flying into our CRO and then going to the sites um, and we weren't able to find someone that was ready to do that um, and so the president asked me do you do you feel comfortable doing it um, and that was another one of those oops I'm jumping into the deep end because I had never done CRA work before right. but it was great because I got trained um, by the president of the company who has been in the industry for how many years um, so that really helped um, and then on top of that, I had the opportunity to do a lot of random training um, through readings and things like that. Okay, awesome. Yeah, I mean, that's one of the perks of working at a smaller company is you get to try a lot of different things and opportunities come up like that where, you know, you just say yes to it and then you're all of a sudden in a different role. So that's yeah. really cool. Yeah, and that's one thing I definitely recommend. Um, the larger CROs have the benefit of um, you know, I guess job security and things like that. Um, but if you aren't exactly sure what position you want long term, smaller CROs allow for you to learn a lot in a little bit of time because you're always wearing multiple hats. Right. Not that that's the case for larger ones either, but I think it's easier to do so um, in smaller companies. For sure. So. Um, and then after you were doing the CRA work, were you just doing CRA work at that time or did you also have to wear the study manager hat? Um, so at that time, it became that others um, picked up a little bit of the workload that I had as a study manager. Um, and because I was, I was going to the sites quite often, okay. um, I did the work while I was on the on flights and in between visits, so that was fine. Um, but you definitely need to have extra backup if you're trying to do both positions at the same time. Right. So were you were you just working on one study at that time? At that time, I was working on two, and both of them um, were on the West Coast. Okay. All right. So you were traveling back and forth, East Coast to West Coast, long flights during that time. Oh, yes. Yep. Very <laughs> long flights. Um, and that's one thing I can say. If you can make those productive, then that's the 
the best thing. Um, you don't have to, you know, there's so much downtime while you're sitting on, on the flights that you can get a lot done work-wise. Right. Um, or you can take it as you time, especially if you're flying a lot. Um, it's worth taking that as time to catch up on whatever you want to do or training yourself on topics that you don't know yet. Right. Um, use it as prof- professional development time. Right. Okay. Awesome. So, um, so I guess jumping to, uh, now as a mm-hmm. CR, or actually you went to, you were a study coordinator after that. Yes. So what made you want to jump to a study coordinator position after being a CRA? Um, so as I was doing the monitoring, I realized that, um, I don't think that I could be as great of a CRA without understanding what it's like to be a coordinator, to catch all of those nuances that happen at the site, to understand why sites um, struggle to recruit, um, to understand why patient retention and patient engagement can be an issue. All of those things I think I started to realize a little more when I was monitoring. Um, But I felt, and I'm just that type of person, in order to do my work, I really feel like I need to delve in and understand every angle of of the industry um and so i i really wanted that change to understand and learn um and i ended up loving it being a study coordinator is great you work with patients which is something you don't get to do you work with subjects which you don't get to do um when you're a cra or working on the cro side um, and you learn a lot about you know principal investigators regulatory on the site side and how the day-to-day ins and outs of running the actual clinical trials um works right wow that's a really good point um yeah a lot of times uh i guess the cro's want to hire study coordinators for that reason to become cra's because they are going to understand you know it's like i guess it's like you know coming together like this um i guess people can't see that but kind of like a puzzle piece um right you know study coordinators are the opposite of the cra and they work together in that way so yeah, it's a lot easier to understand what the other's going through if you've been in their shoes. Right. Okay, so would you recommend other people to become study coordinators first to be a, a good CRA, or do you feel like it really helped you to do that? Um, so I think that in order for me to get to where I am right now, what really helped is that I had some CRO experience from the beginning. Um, I think it's if you look at a lot of the positions that are looking for CRAs, um, you will see that they'll say they have to have, you either have to have CRO experience or sponsor level experience or five years of coordinating experience. So unless you want to be a coordinator for five years and then make that switch, I highly recommend at least finding something that's part-time or something that's on the industry side of things so that you can say, yes, I know what it's like to work directly with the sponsor work at with the CRO um, and then you can make that switch to a coordinator if you feel like you know you want that experience I don't think it's absolutely necessary but I do think that it was very helpful and it makes me a better CRA um, because I understand what's going on at the site okay yeah and you understand the, the nuances like you said of everything right okay so is your specialty in oncology or do you monitor a lot of different things Um, so my specialty right now is in medical device where I'm working right now. Okay. Yes. So where I was, um, CRO wise as a study manager, I was in endocrine studies, which were both therapeutic and device. Um, and then at the site level when I was a CRC or clinical research coordinator, um, I did oncology and non-oncology, both drug and device. Um, and more recently, I made the switch to a sponsor level who has um, pretty much only device studies going on. Okay. So which do you like better? Um, I have to say I really enjoy device, but I also really do miss learning about the cutting-edge medications that are coming out. Um, I think it's just a balance if you... Um, you have to kind of pick and choose. I've never really worked with a um, CRA that did both um, drug and device. So I think it's kind of dependent upon what works best for you. Mm-hmm. Um, at this time, because I just started device, I can't say much, but I, I think that 
um, both you learn a lot from. You know, you learn regulatory is very different for device than it is for drug. Um, and so there's the added benefit of, of learning that side of things if you haven't really done any work in the device industry. Yeah, I mean, I've seen a lot of jobs for hiring for medical device, and they specifically want people with, you know, a few years of medical device experience. Mm -hmm. So it definitely seems like a very different thing. And um, yeah, definitely at the CROs that I know, they have their own unit. Um, and the CRO that I work for, too, um, they have their own unit dedicated to devices. So right. that's that's cool. Um all right, so switching gears now to, um, and yeah, how long were you a study coordinator for? Um, so I was a study coordinator for about a year and five months, so oh. a year and a half almost. Yep, I okay. more recently made the switch. Okay, all right. Um, and so you mentioned before, so you've been at the site level, you've been at the CRO level, and I guess you've recently been at the sponsor level as well. Mm -hmm. What what level do you like the best and can you describe a little bit to the listeners like i guess what the difference is between the different levels because a lot of people are brand new to clinical research and don't really know much like have never had any experience so right um so i would say that the i i would have to say i think i really enjoy being on the sponsor level um I guess it depends on which sponsor you work for because the sponsor I work for doesn't use a CRO to run its studies. Um, thus, I'm directly working under the sponsor. Um, a lot okay. of CRAs work under the CRO and then the CRO is basically what gets contracted. The CRO and the sponsor have a contract and the CRAs represent the sponsor studies. Um, so. I really enjoy being on the sponsor side because you really get to see the ins and outs of the protocol development and you get to work with the people who directly are making these devices, the engineers, um, you get to work with the you know principal scientists, you get to work with everyone directly. Um, the CRO is basically an organization that the sponsor contracts to do a lot of the work if they don't have the in-house manpower to do to do monitoring or site management and all of those things mm -hmm. um i enjoyed doing that as well but um i think that i would still pick the sponsor level and the um basically as a site i really enjoyed doing that short term i don't think that i would ever have stayed there long term i think a year and a half was enough for me uh -huh. um to really learn everything and i think that's true if you um, so a lot of people have asked me this um, who are interested in, into getting um, more experience. How long do you have to be a coordinator to really um, be a good coordinator? And I think that if you work really hard, you just need about a year and a half. Yeah, I think that's probably safe for a lot of the um, positions in clinical research, at least like the, the ones you can get your foot in the door on. Right. Um, <laughs> I remember my manager told me for my first position, she said it was going to take a year before I would feel like really comfortable. And I was like, no way is it going to take a year, but she was right. <laughs> yeah. She was right. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, okay. And then, so that's actually really cool that your sponsor actually runs the trials as well. Um, cause you know, being on the CRO side, you got to ask the sponsor for everything as mm -hmm. you know, they're the final say so and everything. And you got to direct all that mail and attention to them and then relay that to the rest of the CRO team and then relay that again to the sites. Mm -hmm. So I'm sure that's pretty cool having everything kind of in-house on the sponsor side um, and probably makes decisions go by faster, right? Yes, um, definitely. So um, I remember when I was on the CRO side, there was a lot of back and forth. You know, you would have weekly meetings with the sponsor and the sponsor, you know, if you asked any questions, the sponsor would have to have their own internal meeting to send you the information of, about their decisions. Then we, you would get that information and then you would have an internal meeting with all of your team and then make a decision about how to approach. Do you have to go back to the sponsor and say something needs to be tweaked or are we all set to, you know, relay the information to the sites and then you would go to the sites and then 
you know, from there, the sites may push back on a new, you know, decision or they may agree. Um, but a lot of internal meetings separately instead of everyone being kind of together. Right. Um, on the sponsor level, it's not like that. If there's a question or a clarification needs to be sent to these sites, um, it's pretty quick. You know, um, it doesn't take that long because everyone is pretty much in-house um, on the sponsor side. There's, you know, um, there's three CRAs um, that are helping out with the study, one that travels for the study and then the other to kind of do some of the extra work that needs to be done. Um, and then everyone is very accessible. So um, that's one benefit of working with the sponsor as a CRA. Okay, so you said there's only one traveling CRA? Yep, so for every study, um, there is one CRA that does the traveling. Um, so. It could be, you know, um, if there's five sites, then you handle the five sites for the study. Um, and everyone takes, you know, depending on the study, a different CRA is appointed to do the traveling. So it it is beneficial because you get to really focus on um, sp particular studies instead of being spread thin, um, which is helpful. Yeah. Okay. That's cool. Okay. I've never heard that before. Um so are you doing the are you the traveling CRA for that for these protocols yet or yep yep so for right now so I've been there for about a month now and um, I'm now on four studies and I will be traveling for all four studies oh wow and then okay so you're not going to be doing any of the I guess the other people are like in-house CRAs they kind of do that yeah so they do so um, my position is up to 50% travel, which is actually not bad compared to other entry-level CRA positions, which you will very easily see, you know, 75, 80%, um, depending uh -huh. on where you work for. Um, I really like the 50% because I get to be in-house also. You know, I get to be in the office at least for half of the time. Yeah. Um, again, I work... I'm the direct contact with the site. So whereas the other um, CRAs that are considered in-house, they pretty much do a lot of the documentation paperwork um, for the study, but they are not the primary contact. So my day-to-day -day tasks involve taking care of the sites and making sure everything is um, being done correctly. Okay, so do you have to worry about submitting documents to the TMS or you just collect them and hand them um, off? So I collect them and then I file them in our ETMF. Um, okay. But the in-house is, they're the ones who will go ahead and print them out and then file them into like, cause we have a paper um, version of it as well. So oh, okay. they, they'll file it into that. Um, and they kind of help um, remind me if there's something that they realize I need when I'm when I'm going off to the site. So if they realize there's something that needs to be collected that um, we had not discussed about collecting before, then they serve as that um, reminder as well. Okay, cool. So do you, do you like that setup? I mean, I know you're, you're fairly new in it, but as opposed to the CRO, mm -hmm. I don't see, I don't know if it's a fair comparison to make because the sponsor is probably a bigger company than the CRO was. Um, so I don't know if it's, yep. it's, a, it's a, you know, an, apples to apples comparison but do you like that set up differently because i know a lot of cra's get frustrated if there's a bunch of cra's that kind of like back them up on a study mm -hmm. because uh you know it can create some confusion for the site like who do you reach out to especially if a cra is on the road um, right. a lot then you know they might not be contacted often um, yep so um, I am the only CRA contact for the sites. They do not, I don't think the sites even have the contact information for the in-house CRAs. Okay. Um, so really any site issues have to be relayed to me. Um, the other contact is the project manager. So if for whatever reason I'm on vacation, they don't go to another CRA. They'll go to the project manager um, and ask a question. Yep. Okay. So that way... Um, you know, with three CRAs um, or four, whatever amount of CRAs like backing each other up, you're right. It can cause a lot of con confusion. And quite frankly, I think that sites get very frustrated when there's, you know, a list of CRAs that they can potentially reach out to when they have an issue and they don't know who the best one to reach out to is. Um, so 
at the sponsor I work for tries to make it very transparent um, that, you know, there's one lead CRA and they're the ones that's supposed to um, help you with any issues that you have. Okay. All right. Very good. So switch, switching gears a little bit, you talked about um, study manager to uh, study coordinator, you know, to CRA to study coordinator. Um, you know, a lot of people are searching for jobs and they're based all over the country. Um, without, you don't have to give too much detail here, but could you say like what part of the country you're based in? You can just say like Northeast, like whatever, yep. like DMV. So, um, I'm based in the Northeast, um, more specifically in like the greater New York area. Okay. Um, so that's where I am. Um, and I can say that it's very, if you are in the Northeast, it's very difficult to find, um, clinical research positions, but if you are looking to start off and you are flexible in terms of location, I highly recommend looking um, within the Pennsylvania, New Jersey, and Massachusetts area. Um, those three areas are the easiest places. So if you live in Rhode Island or Connecticut or any of those places, you really want to try and be flexible in terms of location. That's where you'll find the work. For sure. All right. Thanks for mentioning that because a lot of people, you know, you can do as much resume magic as you want because a lot of people reach out to me and to us for, you know, looking at their resume. But really, a lot of it is based on location as well. Even even for myself, my first gig, I was I was moving from Missouri to where I am now. And a lot of people just rejected me based on my location at first because I wasn't putting that I was based in the area. So they're saying, oh, we're going to have to probably pay, pay them to move or something like that. Right. Yeah. Um, so one trick that I've noticed that worked for a friend of mine um, is to not put your address on your resume mm -hmm. and instead um, put willing to relocate. Um, and you can, if you are not expecting to um, be compensated for your relocation, um, you know, she actually put that on her resume, willing to relocate without requiring compensation. And Ooh. that really helped her because you know, I think the big issue was that she came from a state where clinical research wasn't really booming and she right. was trying to find work. And I mean, she noticed such a huge difference um, within a short period of time. Um, even with Indeed, um, she would submit the resumes, just that one click apply. Right. And um, that helped. And then on LinkedIn, she actually put that in her headline, you know, seeking opportunities, willing to relocate without being compensated and that helped so her get so many um messages through linkedin about positions and job descriptions and that really um changed her career what a gem i didn't even think about putting that in the resume but that's genius right there so i appreciate that that's a yep. super gem um but yeah it makes sense because you know they don't want to pay for people to relocate for entry-level positions usually because usually right. you're, you yep. know, you're not going to get a huge return for the company for entry-level position. So, right. yeah, so that's, that's great right there. But yeah, definitely the Northeast is great for clinical research, typically. And I know in the Boston yeah. area, you've got a lot of sponsors up there. Yep. Um, yeah. CROs as well. Yeah. And I mean, I think that anywhere, I think even California, from what I hear, is very um, good in terms of clinical research. Um, opportunities they also have a lot of startups in that area so mm -hmm. if you you know don't want to work for a company that's big or well established and you want you're looking for something to really um, you know start up and then also contribute to the development phases of a company then Cali for example is a great idea or New York City has a lot of startups now too um, and that's where you can get in I don't know if um, and that may require you to be able to to be willing to wear multiple hats. And that's something that you have to decide while you're applying to positions. Right. Those multiple hats, I mean, especially if you want to be a CRA, kind of like how you did, they, they offered it after you had some experience. Right. And so that's a really good way to, you know, kind of get into the role is, you know, get your foot in the door of something else. Mm -hmm. And then you can kind of meander your way over there. Yep. Uh, just through working hard and networking within the company and stuff like that. Yep. Okay. Awesome. So now transitioning to this, this other, I guess it's a side hustle that you have of consulting. Mm -hmm. Um, so can you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. So, um, 
there are a lot of companies now that have started up to provide services to sites and sponsors who are having trouble recruiting for their studies. Mm -hmm. um, and these companies um, basically run ads or platforms that help attract um, qualified potential subjects. Um, but then there's that unmet um, need of who's going to screen these patients and help the site really bridge that gap between the referrals that come in through social media or advertising and actually coming in and showing up for the first visit, the screening visit. Um, so my job um, as a part of the consulting that I do is to actually contact these patients um, and kind of see if they're a good potential subject for a particular study. So I do the pre-screening aspect of it, and then if they do pass through my pre-screening, um, I pass them on to the site. In addition, if the sites have any suggestions, um, if they have any concerns about um, recruitment and what how it's slow or how it's, you know, we're, we're sending them too many referrals and they can't handle that. You know, it's about, it might, it's my job to gauge how often we should run those ads and how often I should be sending those pre-screenings to the site so that, you know, if I talk to a potential subject and the site can't get them in in the next two weeks, you're going, you're going to lose that subject most likely because they're not going to take the whole process seriously. They, you know, mm -hmm. if you're serious about it, they'll be serious about it. Um, so strategies like that, timing everything and then doing the screening, that's what I do on the side. Um, I put in about 10 to 15 hours of that a week. Um, whether I you know, increase that later on is really up to me, but that's a nice thing about doing consulting that um, you can kind of make your own hours and determine how much work you take on. Right. Um, and it's a great side hustle. That's the thing. Like not every industry has that um, option, you know? Um, so with these, all of these startups that are coming up, if you can find a way to help out or contribute and um, it's a part-time position, a lot of it you can do remotely. So you're not even going into another office after work. You're doing it from home. Right. So how did, how did you think about this? How did you get involved with that? Um, so while I was a coordinator, um, a lot of the studies that I worked on suddenly were taking on um, the sponsors of those studies were taking on these companies um, and giving them the task of helping recruit. Um, so I worked with quite a few and um, I didn't even know that, you know, pre-screening was a thing that these companies offered. Mm -hmm. But over time, as I like learned more about the studies um, and how the companies were helping, um, I actually realized that there were screeners that were doing this pre-screening before we were even getting the referrals. And so I looked for, I just typed it into Indeed, I typed it into LinkedIn, um, and you actually will easily find positions here and there like that. Um, I know that a lot of companies have even said, if you reach out to us, the biggest thing is that I think not every company posts all of its openings. So if you think that there's a position, um, and it's like somewhere out there online that a bunch of the positions are never posted anywhere online. They right. have this need and an internal referral ends up taking that position or, you know, they kind of fill it by um, searching on LinkedIn. So it never hurts to reach out to companies and say, hey, I'm interested. Do you have something? And if not, they'll hold on to your resume till something comes up. Right. And that's basically what I ended up doing for this one gig that I have right now. Okay. Um, just reaching out and saying that, you know, I have coordinator experience or I have study experience um, and I'm really interested in doing this and helping out. And I, you know, two months later, I was all set up and I've been working on um, a bunch of studies and with a bunch of sites since then. Okay. So do you, do you reach out to the sites yourself and offer your services or is it through another company that you do this? Um, so it's through another company. So I am contracted through another company, but I work as an independent contractor. Got it. Um, the owner of that patient recruitment company reaches out to the site. So this is how it kind of works. The sponsor will reach out to the patient recruitment company and say, hey, we need help recruiting. Right. Um, and then they will say, this is the entire list of the sites that we have open for this particular study. Feel free to reach out and ask them if they would like these services. And a lot of them and most of them do say yes. 
Um, and in that case, you know, I get the list of all of the people who said yes. Okay. Um, and I reach out. The nice thing is that because I work on the East Coast, I'm assigned a lot of sites that are on the West Coast. Perfect. So there's that three hour gap. So even when I get home from work at six o'clock, technically it's only three o'clock and that's perfect. I can do, a, you know, a decent three hours if I want to of work on the weekends it's really convenient too if you don't have any plans you can make some money while while sitting at home there it is man that's like that's a great side hustle so do, yeah. do you need some experience to do this or do you think anyone can do this you know at, in, in a way to get experience in the industry um I think that any company would want to see that you have some type of healthcare knowledge or um, if you have been a medical scribe before or a research assistant before and help screen, anything where you can show that you know how to ask the right questions if, you, if you're given the inclusion exclusion criteria. Okay. So if you worked as a research assistant um, with human subjects in college, then this would be something that you can look into. If you were a medical scribe, you can look into it. Um, if you're an EMT and you want to get into clinical research, I think that that would be very easy because you have that healthcare knowledge. Um, and then anyone that's already in the industry, as long as you have an understanding of how to speak with potential subjects, um, if, I guess if you have good bedside manner, you would be a good potential for the position. Okay, perfect. All right. All right, cool. So, you know, do you know how much longer you'll continue to be doing this? You think you'll be doing it for the remainder of your career, or do you think there will be a time where you're not doing this? Um, so, I would like to do it for as long as possible. Um, you know, at times I really enjoy doing it, and I think, you know, what if I want to do this full time? Like, if I oh, can wow. find people. The only thing is, you like because this is work from home, you have to not want to go into an office and although I love doing work from home I really do like going into an office at least a few times a week kind of seeing people and that's where you network too you know you meet a lot of people right. on the sponsor side right now I meet a lot of new people I connect with them I learn a lot from them um, working from home you're kind of isolated into your own um, corner um, but I don't know maybe like five years from now once I've you know gotten a lot more experience and I want to have something that's low-key um, flexible hours I think that it's a great thing to be able to do um, so hopefully I'm in I'm able to do it for the long haul because I think it's a great fit I mean flexible hours being able to do weekends that's great okay oh yeah you can make you can make phone calls on weekends too yep okay all right Cool. Um, so yeah, I had a question about the spot, something about the sponsor, but I forgot it. So we'll, we'll get back to it in okay. a second. Um, so another question I wanted to ask was, are you, are you happy about your career progression right now? And I wanted to ask that just to provide a little context to that question is there's a lot of demand for industry professionals who have experience right now. It's mm -hmm. almost like, you know, you could pretty much get a job very quickly if you have some experience in clinical research. Um, so do you feel like you're happy with the way your career has progressed so far? Yes, um, I'm 100% happy with it. I think that I was very lucky um, because I have been able to get so much different experience in a short period of time. Um, which not everyone is lucky enough to get. It's not that I haven't worked hard for it, but I just... I think that I'm very fortunate because there are people who are looking out there um, to start a career and they have difficulty doing so. Mm -hmm. um, as a CRA right now, I definitely want to continue being a CRA um, for a while, really solidify my knowledge in terms of what monitoring is, and then I'll see where where life takes me in terms of career. Okay. All right. I remember my question now. All right. You said the, you said the key word, work from home as a CRA. Now, a lot of people that I know that I'm friends with that are CRAs tell me that they love, you know, being 100% remote. You know, they only go on site and then pretty much the other time they're like in their home office or traveling or something like that. They love not going into the office because of the amount of freedom that it provides. You know, no one's really looking over their shoulder. They don't really have anywhere to be. If they don't have any visits that week, you know, they can wake up when they want to, you know, just make sure they're doing their stuff. Um, but you, you go into the office. So how is, how is that for you? 
Um, so I can work remotely when I want to, um, but I choose to at least go in as often as possible. So, you know, on Friday, sometimes I'll work from home. Um, tomorrow, I don't have too much that requires me to be in the office, so I'll work from home. But um, most of the time, I like going into the office because I get that connection with my team. Um, I get to see people that that work as clinical project managers. I get to see the principal scientists. Um, I get to work with R&D. Um, and all of that, for me, um, as a young professional, I think it's a great opportunity to learn from everyone. Um, later on in my career, I may decide that working from home is what I want to do full time and I don't want to have to go into an office. Mm -hmm. um, but I think that when you're learning and you're, you still have so much um, to gain from those who are more experienced than you, you want to be able to be in office and, and connect with those people, learn from those people. Okay. Yeah, that's, that's a good point. Um, I've talked a lot about on this channel, the networking in the office and how powerful that can be, mm -hmm. you know, just like networking in the coffee room or in the cafeteria and yeah. like the, you know, how many people you can meet and how many opportunities that can open up, you know, just saying hello to somebody that you see in there. So yeah. that, that's a good point about how much you can learn and how much you can go, you can gain from being in the office, even though you may right. not necessarily have to be. Yep. Okay. So, um, so you've been in clinical research, you've had a few positions. What would you say are the best positions for people to get into the field? Um, I think the easiest ones from what I've seen, like job description wise, because once I started, I never really looked back at the entry level positions. I wanted to continue growing, but I've helped quite a few friends look for positions and it seems like the clinical trial associate positions on the sponsor level mm -hmm. or the on CRO level are a great place to start. Um, I've seen a lot of OCTA roles turn into CRA roles if people are transparent about it during the interview process. You know, right. I'm applying for the CTA position because I want to be a CRA. Um, clinical research coordinator positions are also something that you should definitely look at um, because those a lot of places will just take you as long as you have some type of healthcare experience or some experience with um, patients or subjects. Um, depending on where you've worked or interned. Um, in addition, I think that um, if you have a lot of trouble, like if, for example, you're looking for work while you're still in school, um, I think that you should look for research assistant positions in um, psychology labs. Um, maybe the medical school is looking for a research assistant if you have a medical school in your school. And, and that would really help because you're also working on studies, whether it's, you know, different than pharma and um, device studies, that's fine, but you're still getting the experience of what it's like to be a part of clinical research, essentially. Right. Okay. Good point. Um, now you mentioned clinical trial associate. Now a lot of companies call that different things, but it's probably like the same thing, like as clinical trial assistant. Mm -hmm. um, so for the, anyone that's listening, you got to keep that in mind that a lot of these positions are really the same thing, but they call them different things depending if at the company and if you're at the CRO or the sponsor. Um, okay. But yeah, definitely agree. Study coordinator, the, the CTA role. Uh, you know, you, you mentioned the medical assistant and things like that. Good, good, all good roles um, to get your foot in the door. The key thing there is just to get your foot in the door and then. Right. Everything else should take care of itself once you get some experience. Yeah, you have to take what you can get. Um, I think that you don't want to be too picky in the beginning of the career. Obviously, you don't want to pick something that you know you're going to hate, um, but you want to you want to keep yourself open to as much as possible um, because you never know. I've seen CTA physicians or clinical trial assistant physicians turn into CRA positions within six months. I've seen some of them take two years. So, I mean, it, you really don't know where a position is going to take you unless you give it a try. And if you really are not um, feeling like career progression is an opportunity at the company where you start off, you can always move. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, but if you shut yourself out from initial opportunities, eventually what will happen is that you're kind of pigeonholing yourself accidentally. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a, that's a good point. Um, yeah, you never really know where it's going to take you. And I remember, I think a lot of my friends that are CRAs now got into the industry like 2014, 2015. And 
I remember they were the companies were just kicking them out the door to become CRAs. Like they were just like begging them to like become CRAs immediately. Right. So you know it doesn't take much much experience if the market's right. And I know last year I think 2017 was a pretty slow year to the industry. Yeah. Um, you agree with that? Yeah, I um, so I have a lot of um, friends whose younger siblings I guess now are graduating from college and a lot of them wanted to get into clinical research so I got a lot of resumes from people saying can you, can you look at this for me mm -hmm. um, I'm having trouble and sometimes I was just like let me just see what's out there and it seemed like really what was out there was mid-level positions um, not really entry-level positions right. um, and even the entry-level position said like you need three years of experience right. and we all know that we all roll our eyes when we see something like that right. um, but that was the state of you know the job market at that time right and Hopefully so 2018 is better yeah i mean i think the big reason for that was because of all the mergers you had you had lab court by covance and Chiltern. um yes. you had par excel getting bought by pamplona capital and you had the big merger between uh inc research and inventive health becoming cineos so that really stagnated the market and all those happened right. like throughout the year so I think hopefully I'm crossing my fingers. We don't have anything like that this year. So right. hopefully a lot more positions will open up and I've seen it already. Um, yeah. Yeah. One of the indicators I look for is con like if there's contract project management positions, mm -hmm. when I see people posting that, I know the industry is in a good place because I didn't see right. any of that. I didn't see any of that last year. And that's a good point. Um, you know, adding on to what you should take if you're looking to start off your career, don't be afraid to take contract positions. I think that that's so important. Um, my um, CRC position was um, contracted to hire. Mm -hmm. And um, I mean, I'm so thankful that I just went for it. If you work hard, I, I, I don't think I've seen anyone not get a full-time um opportunity if it was temp to hire right. um if it's just temp then you you have to be comfortable with finding something before the end of your contract um but even then sometimes those temp positions just get extended and extended and extended um and if you're looking to start off your career honestly it may not be a great uh, a bad idea to do it six months and then you have that six month experience to look for a full-time with benefit job right. um two-month contracts, three-month contracts, I think are a little bit risky if you're a fresh graduate, but six months, I think it's, it's fine. You'll find something as you get that first three months of experience. Right. I got, I got my start in the industry on a three-month contract. So <laughs> if, if I can so do it, anybody can do it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I guess, yeah, in theory, it was a big risk. Um, but I can say that the market completely opened up as soon as I had that experience on my resume. Like yeah. it was a completely different ball game. Yeah. Um, way more callbacks from companies and way more interviews, like significantly more. So Right. And the thing is like a lot of companies now, they have those um, filters for resumes. So if they don't see like research or clinical trial on the resume, the um, automated systems that they have to filter out resumes may kick you out even before they even like it gets to the desk that's going to look at your resume so having anything is better than having nothing right right all right cool um so you know just wrapping up here we've been here almost an hour uh so I don't want to take up too much of your time but um here's a question that i like and i stole this question from one of the people that i follow uh gary v um, he always asks, like, what are you obsessed with? And I really love that question. So I'm going to ask that to you. What are you obsessed with right now? And it could be anything from, like, you know, you just found, like, some new recipe you like to make or, you know, you just fell in love with, like, running or something like that. So do you have anything that you're obsessed with right now? Um, I don't know. I, see, I, that's actually one of those questions where I can't answer right now because I feel like I've been so busy just working uh -huh. that I haven't had much time on the side. Um, the first thing that came into my mind when you said that is I feel like the majority of my time has been going towards patient recruitment strategies. Uh -huh. um, I've been devoting a lot of time into understanding what's out there and then what is still unmet in terms of that. Um, so, I mean, it's kind of in alignment with what I do, but, um, and not really 
a hobby, but I mean, I think that that's what I've been devoting a lot of my extra time to, kind of just understanding um, how it can be improved on the CRO sponsor and site level. Okay. All right. Awesome. So obsessed with uh, patient recruitment. That's not a bad place to be. all right. So, uh, any any lasting uh, impressions or any lasting words of wisdom you'd want to give to anybody listening to us right now? Um, um I think that you should. The clinical research industry um, is tough to get into, but you should never get disheartened by not getting callbacks or not getting offers. Um, you know, if it's it's really hard to get something um, right away, but if you are diligent at it and you really do put the time in, um, people will see that. And I think that the other thing is if you're having trouble, use LinkedIn to connect with people who um, have the experience that you, you're you looking for. Um, you know, I know that's kind of a bold move, but if you really genuinely show that you're wanting to learn about their experiences and understand how they got to where they are mm-hmm. it's never a bad thing i've seen many people not just in clinical research but other than that to reach out to people that they think um, are a great example of what they want to be 10 years from now or five years from now and people are so nice they will you know really help you understand what you can do to improve your chances okay all right perfect so um you know I'm going to ask this. You don't have to. You can say no. But um, are you comfortable providing maybe an email address if anybody has any questions? Or I can give them my email address, eliteclinicalgroup at gmail.com, and just forward them to you. Um, it's up to you. Um, yeah, sure. So my – do you want me to just say it right yeah, now? Yeah, just say it, and I'll put it in okay. the description too. So it's going to be m-s-h-a-h okay. dot c-r-p okay. at gmail.com. Okay. Um, so I'll have that in the description as well. If you want to ask Mega any questions, also if you ask any questions in the comments, I'll forward them to you as well, so you can okay, put your take perfect. on it as well. Sure. All right. Thanks so much for coming on the show today, Mega. It was awesome having you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I really enjoyed talking with you. <laughs>